0: It says dirtbags in the title. We can do what we want.
1: In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. We opened the world. We refused to do the harm to other things, from the use of the armies under the borders the And we trust solidarity, and The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. I make the money, man. I roll the nickels. The game's mine!
0: Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Welcome to the first episode of Season 2 here on the Enlightened Dirtbags podcast. I'm Version 2, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Jonah Condro.
1: How you been, man? Excited to get back at Season 2? This is a very interesting season for me as a reader, probably because I don't have any experience with any of these books, and I don't really have any experience with these this genre. Of books, and so there's very little that I know about these authors, uh, with the exception of, I guess, one of the characters uh, in Chaos, like Charles Manson. But I only really understand like the pop culture version of Charles Manson, right? Well, he
0: certainly was a character.
1: Yeah, I'm coming into this with like fresh eyes on just about everything, so I don't really have, I don't even really know what my biases are. I really don't know what my expectations are. Really the only thing that I've done in preparation for this podcast is just like write down the titles of the books and the authors and maybe <laughs> read the back of them and that's about it. So I'm like I'm I'm fresh.
0: Yeah, I, it's it's going to make it cool for me because I have read some of these books before. I do tend to dabble especially in like the espionage side of things. I've always really liked that spy world, you know, spy movies and then you get into the you get into the true stories of real life spies. And fuck James Bond, man, like the shit that those guys do is it's intense and it's like intricate and terrifying at all times, you know? So we have some, uh, some espionage books here that I'm really excited for. And then, uh, you know, some cold war stuff and then some conspiracy, some crime pretty close to home. So I've read some of these, not all of them, but the ones that I have read are all books that I, I really, really liked. So I'm happy to have a reason to read them again. And I'm actually excited to see you read them because I know some of them, Chaos in particular, that's the big one. When I've read some of these books, I was like, holy fuck, you know? So I'm excited to see you go through it and just like watch you have that reaction at the end of it. Yeah,
1: because Chaos is our zen and art for season two. Like that's the fucking big... That's the boss level. Yeah, that's like the Barry Bonds home run fucking on steroids shit, right? And that's the one we're saving for the... For the final episode, it's chaos.
0: It is the biggest book, and it is also the hardest to wrap your mind around. We'll dive into that a little bit more. What's our list? What are we reading? In order, we're starting
1: off with No Domain, the John McAfee tapes by Mark Eglinton. Can I pause you for a second? Is it John McAfee or is it John McPhee? Because I always thought it was like McAfee or something like that. It could be McAfee.
0: How do you say it? Oh, I said McAfee that time. McAfee? I think it's kind of like my mother pronouncing Lamborghini. Sometimes it's Lamborghini (laughs) and sometimes it's Lamborghini. The D is the G sometimes. The G is a D. And I just roll the dice, you know? (laughs) So, like, could be McAfee. It could be McAfee.
1: McAfee. Yeah, McAfee. Okay.
0: I mean, I kind of base it off of how
1: I would have pronounced the antivirus software because that's what he's known for, right? That's... That's the only connection that I have to this book, right? Is when you brought it up, I was like, like that guy made the yeah. ant the, the antivirus stuff that I saw on my dad's computer in like the late nineties for sure,
0: you know. And uh, I still get like I just bought a new laptop and I've been getting emails from that company, and I'm like, and it's got like little pop ups in like the bottom right still for sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like that's exactly the same. It's funny because you would think most people it was Norton or McAfee, yeah. you know, like that was the two that you would hear of all the time. And then there's this wild story behind the creator of it. You don't hear about it in the news. Like, I I don't even remember how I found it, but I, like, stumbled upon it one time.
1: So that that was sort of, like, the first surprise when we're working through books to read for Season 2 is I was like, wait a second, what? Because I just thought, like, he was just some dude, made his money, doing the antivirus software, and he's probably just living the dream someplace. And then here you, like, throw this book in front of me. I'm like, wait a second. There's like some shit going down here. Yeah. He's not Bill Gates. I'll tell you
0: that. (laughs) He's, uh, I mean, much closer to if Hunter S. Thompson had been like a tech genius.
1: (laughs) Like, and this is a relatively new book. Like, I think the, I think it was published in like 2020 or 2021 or something like that. And it's actually kind of interesting, like. I've started on this one already. I got too eager because um, I've
0: I've heard it referenced in a couple of podcasts, but just by people that like had kind of read an article one time and not really gotten into it that much, they were just kind of like, hey, did you hear about all that crazy shit that happened with that guy? And so I was like, I got to know, right? And so I've started into it, and
1: it's a cool book because it's written just as a conversation. Yeah, because didn't the author, this is the little bit that I understand about this book, was in contact with the McAfee guy. How are we saying it? Have we just McAfee says their in the title. We can do what we want. <laughs> McAfee. So he was he was chatting with McAfee, and he was like in some undisclosed location. And these are just like the recordings. And then yeah. he just like, okay, I'm going to write this book.
0: Yeah, because they were like Facetiming or whatever it was. I was whatever sort of communication was the most secure. The intention was to write a book. And apparently, McAfee had had other authors start the project before. And then, like, he would fuck with them. Oh. Like, I don't want to give away the examples or whatever. We can dive into it in the book. But he would, like, test their resolve. Like, psychologically fuck with them. And most people would just be like, this isn't fucking worth it for me, dude. I'm out. This guy was like, I'm just going to do it no matter what, you know? And so they would be FaceTiming. And then it came down to McAfee was like, I will only take payment in this obscure cryptocurrency. And this is like before, it's like now, whatever. Cryptocurrency is cryptocurrency, right? People get paid in it all the time. But it was like this obscure cryptocurrency. It had to go through this like weird account transfer because, you know, he's running from the CIA and uh, he's hiding in an undisclosed location and he doesn't want someone tracking him, you know? Fair enough. (laughs) So, I mean, isn't like, I'm pretty sure that's how they caught like El Chapo or whoever the fuck it was. That guy from I Am Sam, what's his name? Sean Penn?
1: Oh, went yeah. and interviewed him. And oh, really? did like a
0: documentary on him and then they like tracked the location via Oh, I didn't the know. interview and yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how they come. Oh, so shit. John McAfee was ahead of the game, so he's like it has to go through this way. And every publisher ever was like, uh fuck no. That's way too that's not how we do it. It feels super shady. And so it just fell through. And so he just made the book anyways. And it's just basically a transcript with commentary. And it's a, re- it's a really interesting way to do it because you're getting McAfee's story in McAfee's words. And you get to see the way they're having this conversation. The way he's super sneaky about it and dodges questions and whatever. But it's a crazy story. But so just to generalize here, for people that don't know anything about him aside from the computer antivirus software or just maybe not even that essentially he's very very intelligent and he realized at an early age that programming was kind of his world and like he was in the battle of the first viruses like the first virus that ever came out computer virus this is back in the days when like a computer would take up an entire floor of a building you know (laughs) And they were just like punching in ones and zeros and flipping switches, you know, it was like space balls. And uh, (laughs) you got to put it into ludicrous speed. (laughs) And uh, and the very first anti their very first virus came up and they like on the fly with his little group of geniuses had to figure out how to combat computer viruses. Right. So that's and like he got contracts like with the CIA. So we got all this clearance and like it was just a wild career that takes many wild turns. And then through either things that really happened or blackmail or he was framed or whatever it is, he ends up kind of globe trotting on the run from the CIA. And there's some wild stories, man, claims that he murdered his neighbor. At one point, he's out in like international waters on a yacht full of guns and he's just this like old guy. You know, like he's I think he's like 70 while this shit's going down, oh, you know, but he's extremely intelligent, very charismatic and very good at reading people. So he's very good at navigating, you know, going through customs or dealing with uh, detectives or just the pulling the strings of the regular civilians out there in the world to get what he wants. He's a very intelligent man. And so you're kind of getting a book where we don't really know.
1: We don't really know right? What the reality is, but you're getting his story. I think that's why I wanted to read this book first is because there's so like you just said, you don't know. And so when you presented this book to me, I was like, what? And like immediately out of all these books and I want to read all of them and I will read all of them. And I anticipate that I'm going to enjoy all of them. But I was like, I need to know, I need to know this guy's story because it's just, it just sort of caught me off guard that here's this guy that just you would just think that he just would have rode off into the sunset with his big bag of money that he made from programming antivirus software. And now you're telling me he's like, no, no, man, like this guy was kind of kind of an animal.
0: <laughs> he was also the Libertarian Party's candidate for the 2016 presidential election.
1: I was reading that <laughs> and I was like, this is kind of messed up. Yeah, he dude, He did like a wild video. I haven't watched it yet, but yeah, he was
0: like, I'm just going to be straight up. Like, I think he's like riding a jet ski in it. And like, I'm pretty sure he talks about doing drugs and stuff. Oh, I'm like, yeah, he's beautiful. Just no shame at all. Just a wild guy. And that's, that's, you know, as I had said earlier, he's, he feels a lot like Hunter S. Thompson. Okay. You know, just so out there and so like in your face, honest to the point that I don't think most people know how to handle it. And then you like Hunter S. Thompson traveled in his own weird little circle of maniacs, right? Well, you take that personality and you put them in the world of tech giants. He just stands out since he spends time with drug addicts and drug dealers and criminals and street performers and all of this. And then is also in that tech world. He just has such a widespread grasp of the human character that it it's just... He, it's like fluid you know going through sand he could just do whatever he wants it's it's really interesting man and i'm I'm pretty excited to dive into this book and uh, I'm gonna
1: start reading that book today yeah
0: <laughs> yeah I've I've uh I've been back and forth between reading and the audiobook so when I finish the rest of this insane eight-hour drive I'm on today I'll probably uh get on the audiobook on the rest of my trip here but if I had to sum up this book just overall uh it's drugs money conspiracy and so much more okay that you can't like i can't even begin you know (laughs) like constant surprise of like how many lives have you lived
1: are you tyler durden (laughs) (laughs) what's next what do we read next after that one
0: so next on the list is a fun one actually uh runaway devil how forbidden love drove a 12 year old to murder her family i guess i shouldn't have said it's a fun one um (laughs) It's by Robert Remington and Sherry Zikafoos. But the reason this is such a fun one is we actually have a guest for this. So this will be the first time that we have a guest on the podcast. It's really tricky to do with books, you know, unless you have an author on. But for those of you that happen to listen to the episode of the Back on Our Bullshit podcast that I was on, one of the hosts there, my friend Mitch, actually mentioned that he grew up very close to this this incident, um, close friends with the people involved, and he potentially has some details on the story that aren't in the book. You know, there's always three sides to a story.
1: This has my like a strong interest. One because it's in our back door, it's like two hours from where I live. Yeah, exactly. Like Medicine Hat, Alberta. Right, we've got like a homegrown Alberta like crime and conspiracy, like murder, fucking story. Right. So this is like the youngest triple homicide ever prosecuted in Canada. Oh, my God.
0: Twelve years old, man.
1: Yeah. And uh, I remember hearing about this on the news. Right. And you're just like, what? Like, it just didn't make any sense. Like, Mm -hmm. because there's certain crimes. I don't want to, like, give them a pass or sort of like, okay what they're doing. But then when you hear about like a drug deal gone wrong and somebody gets murdered, you're like, oh, that makes sense. You can see what led up to it. Exactly. Right. You know, or like a carjacking gone wrong and somebody gets stabbed, you know, or something like that. But here you're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. For sure. Like a 12 year old kid just like all of a sudden murders her parents and brother. Well, and I think this is
0: also really going to shine a light on, you know, troubled young teens and the effects that social media can play.
1: And then- the effects that the emotions at a young age can play. Because I, I think this all went down in like the early 2000s. Like I w- I think I was just out of high school when when this like all went down. Because I, I, the book came out in like 2009, I think the first publishing, right? So this is like kind of in like that weird early days of social media and cell phones. And Nexopia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
0: let's, let's just admit it. We were all weird on Nexopia. Fuck yeah. You know? Yeah, I th- I think we're gonna shine a light on some hot topics here. Uh, it's probably gonna be a dark one, but you know, I'm I'm really excited to have Mitch on. He's he's just great on a microphone in general. Um, and then also to be able to to kind of connect to the book a little bit more. You know, it's always you and me in a book we've read, and now we're gonna have. Like a character from the book. We're going to be able to pull it out of there a little bit more. It's like talking
1: to an extra from like a major motion picture, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I
0: suppose so. It'll be a little bit different from the usual. After that, we're getting into Red Notice, a true story of high finance, murder, and one man's fight for justice by Bill Browder. So this one, I have not read. It came highly recommended by many friends and family members, like annoyingly so. That people were like, put that fucking book on the podcast. And I was like, all right, damn.
1: When I was buying these books and I was talking about this and I got a little story about Red Notice, there was like a dude standing behind me and he was like, oh, yeah. He's like, he's like, just he basically just finished reading that. And he was in the bookstore buying a, a book to replace it. Right. And he was just like, oh, man. And even as I was like paying for my books and leaving, like he was just so kind of worked up with how excited he got about how p- good that book was. Like he didn't even really know how to speak to me about it. Yeah, he was yeah. almost sort of stumbling over his ideas. Basically, I was just like, okay, man, I get it. You're excited. I got to go. 13 <laughs> with his first girlfriend. Yeah. Just doesn't know how to talk to her. <laughs> yeah, I honestly,
0: I love that, man. Like I've had that before. Um, there's a small little used bookstore. I actually shouldn't say small. It's got like 120,000 books uh, in Calgary in Inglewood called fair's fair. And I was in there one day and I picked up this random book. I was just doing my usual thing of like, I'll go in and buy like 10 books that are like $3 a piece or whatever, and just start reading. And I picked up this random book called the raw shark texts. And as soon as I got it, like I had someone there that was like, this book is amazing. And then I had so many friends like, that's my favorite book. And like, there's just something so magical, magical about having a book And people just being so excited for you to read it. Like, it's not their experience at all. They're excited for you to experience that. Like, that's, it gets you really amped up. Like I said, my mother and my brother both were like, that's a great book. And my mother does have a history of recommending really phenomenal books to me. So, I think this one's going to be good. So, this one's a crime thriller. Uh, A loose synopsis is, it's a Wall Street Maverick kind of ends up in Russia just after the collapse of the Soviet Union, right? And uh, he exposes some corruption, almost dies. His Russian lawyer ends up in prison where he's tortured to death. You know, we're talking about somebody that's in Putin's crosshairs, which is a pretty scary place to be. You know, I, if I understand correctly, like, this got big enough that the states, like, changed some international laws, named them after this guy's Russian lawyer, and— it pissed off Putin so much that Russia changed a law that Americans can no longer adopt Russian children or something like that. (laughs) Like it's crazy. This one guy's experiences are like turning into a global pissing match, you know, (laughs) like, so I, I don't know, man, like there's very few people out there that I could think I would want as an enemy less than Putin.
1: Yeah. And like Russia's a fucking weird place, man. I think that's sort of uh, an error, especially, you know, reading a book like this in while well, there's like an invasion of Ukraine going on. And so I think a lot of us forget like that there's entire countries that think completely opposite. I shouldn't say opposite, completely uniquely to the way that we think about things, right? When we get into the, a book that, especially about like right after the collapse of the Soviet Union, we're talking about guy being in the crosshairs of putin like we're talking about like a country its people a government that just think differently than we do and i don't want to say well let's just call them like the villains right mm. but they're going to think about in a way that things in a way that is going to be outside of our understanding you know what i mean and so i think this is sort of like the first book that's sort of going to it's going to challenge my biases right and it's going to really sort of like through a mirror against how i understand parts of the world for sure
0: and i mean we like to think of it as like the way we see it as the right way and the way they see it is wrong but if, if you flip the script that's exactly what they think you yeah. know but we've been you know look at pretty much any like spy thriller ever russia's always the bad guy <laughs> you know like we've kind of been indoctrinated to see russia as this like villainous country and uh I mean the USSR was pretty awful, so it it makes sense. But yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to dive into this and just see because I like you hear lots of conspiracy theories, you know, over in the West. But I don't really know that much about the in depth side of the corruption and whatnot in Russia. So, and the high finance world is also not something I'm very privy to. So I think it's going to be a really interesting one. So from there, uh, we're moving on to. Another book that I have read, actually, it's called Life Undercover, Coming of Age in the CIA by Amaryllis Fox. First off, I just want to start off by saying that Amaryllis Fox is probably the hottest name ever. <laughs> like, it's, I, when I first found this book, that's, I saw her name before I saw the title. And I was just like, Amaryllis oh, I was like, that sounds like if you made a movie about a sexy spy. And then I like read the title and I'm like, oh, it's about a CIA agent. Um, yeah, I'm in, you know, <laughs> and it it turned out to be so much more than I expected. You know, this is, this is going to be a really cool one to get into. And kind of like we did with season one, you know, when we did Elspeth Speard's Lone Rider, a lot of the books, again, like motorcycles and crime and espionage, it's, it's very male dominated, you know? And so, Now here we get a book that is the story of and written by a female CIA agent. And she really does a good job of not just telling the story of what happened, but like Elspeth Beard did, diving into the contrast and the change in perspectives as a female in that world, you know? And like, man, being a CIA agent is no joke, like... She spent 10 years hunting terrorists across 16 countries. Like, she gets married and gets pregnant and, like, during this time, like, undercover, you know? It's a wild story, and there's a lot of crazy things that happened to her. And she started—I think she became an agent at, like, 20. So it's going to be a twist, and I think it's also really going to change our perspectives. Because, let's be honest, most of what we know of the secret agent world is movies, You know, almost exclusively. That's where my understanding comes from. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And so, yeah, she does a really good job of of uh, shining a light on the fact that it is mostly a male world. And that kind of tends to bleed into the way they handle things, you know, where her female perspective can change the way an operation goes, you know, kind of more of that compassionate side. So it's, it's a good book. I'm excited for you to read it. I think she did a really good job. It's a phenomenal story. It for sure, like if you made this into a movie and didn't tell anyone it was true, it would be a great movie. Like it wouldn't it wouldn't seem too boring to be a phenomenal spy movie. It's it's a really great story. And then we have an ordinary man autobiography by Paul Begina. Now,
1: so this is where my fun. Fa- I can't wait. This okay. is where the, this is where the fun fact. Comes I was in.
0: really hoping that when I like when I said that. Uh, McAfee was the Libertarian Party candidate and you were like, oh, yeah, I was, re-. I was like, please don't tell me that was a fun fact.
1: No, no, no. So the Paul uh, Recessa Begina, right? Yeah. I don't know. Did you ever watch that film uh, Hotel, Hotel Rwanda? 100 percent, dude. Did you yeah. watch it in school? I, uh, yep. I can't remember if I watched it in like middle school or high school or whatever. Right. But it was sort of like. You know, it came out, and then, like, every English teacher was like, oh, we have new content, right? Yeah. Like, I definitely wrote, like, an in-class essay on Paul Rusesabagina, right? Yeah. That's the only reason I know how to say his name. Because he was just... Yeah, because we watched the film, and we're like, oh, man, like, this guy, there's a fucking genocide going on in the 90s, right? In Rwanda. And he's just like, no, 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 no. Hey, come chill in my hotel and we're going to slow everyone the fuck down here and stop this genocide, right? Like, fucking hero.
0: I mean, he was hiding people during a genocide. I don't think there was much chill. Well, yeah. But, yeah, basically like a, you know, like a everyday superhero, man.
1: So, he's in jail. What? For terrorism. (laughs) Yeah. Plot twist. Man, so. They need to make a new movie with Don Cheadle. (laughs) When you threw this book in, I was like, man, this is like... It's a bit of a a wild card, I guess, in in the stack of books that we have, right? For sure. So it's it's not necessarily like crime, conspiracy, CIA stuff, but there's like a genocide going on here, right? Yeah. In a country, in a continent that we don't really know a whole lot about, right? I don't know anything about Rwanda other than there was a genocide, yep. right? At some point. Yeah. And so... I'm looking up this guy, mostly just to learn how to pronounce his name. (laughs) Yep. And I start seeing these fucking headlines, and I'm like, what? And like, this is recent, like within the last year or two. Oh, wow. He gets fucking pinched for terrorism charges, serving a 25-year sentence. In Rwanda? I don't know. Like, that's as far as I took it, because I was just like. Right. So when I was thinking about... Now knowing that this guy's like in jail for terrorism and he's got like fucking humanitarian awards and all this other crazy shit, right? Uh, For saving people's lives. I'm excited to read this book now the same way I was excited to read uh, The Motorcycle Diaries by Che Guevara. Right. Because we're reading something that was written before a significant event. Because we all know that Che Guevara, right, ends up chilling with Castro fucking Cuban revolution, right? Right. But- When we're reading the motorcycle diaries, you know, we have that uh, dramatic uh, irony where the audience knows something that the characters in the book don't, right? We know that where Shay ends up in the end. Same thing now with this uh, recessive vagina. We know he ends up in jail. And so it's just going to throw like a whole new filter on how you read that book. So like, had I read that book and not even known that the guy ends up in fucking jail, you, you know, who knows? Oh, this guy's awesome. What a awful yet amazing story. And then you find out like, you know, a few decades later, he ends up in jail for terrorism. You're like, that is like the worst thing they end up in fucking jail for.
0: Well, it would be interesting to know the story on that, right? Because there, I mean, there, I don't know if there still is. I don't know anything. Like you said, I don't know anything about Rwanda currently, if there's still this ethnic divide, because when you have places like that, where you're kind of divided into two groups, whoever is in charge, you can throw people in prison for some shit under some trumped-up charges that might not be entirely accurate, right? That's like, fair, man. I mean, he probably could have been charged with treason mm-hmm. for sheltering all these refugees, right, in, in the story. So it would be interesting to know if this is one of those, like, let's keep in mind, Gandhi went to jail a bunch of fucking times. So maybe he's a terrorist. Maybe he's not. Yeah, that's I, true. I, Nelson I Mandela was in fucking jail for a hell of a long time, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it does seem to be a common theme when you stand up to the man.
1: That was my fun fact. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> very. I was definitely
0: shocked. <laughs> I have Googled this book a bunch and uh, Googled the movie again as well recently, and I never saw that come up. So I'm definitely going to read that. But just just a rough background. It's an autobiography, right? It tells his story during the 1994. Rwandan genocide, which was essentially a super brutal civil civil war between two ethnic groups, the Hutu and the Tutsi people. It kinda kicked off when a plane carrying the Rwandan president Juvenal Habia Rimana, maybe? <laughs> I think that's pretty close. Uh so the the president who was a Hutu, his plane was shot down. It's it's kind of been highly debated ever since whether it was something done by the Tutsi people or if it was kind of like when the Nazis burnt down that one building, the Reichstag or whatever it was. And they're like, they burned it down. They're like, look, they're trying to attack our country. You know, they don't know if it was a setup, like they shot it down themselves to kick off the revolution or not. But anyways, that's what, what sparked it all. And, uh, It's estimated that up to 800,000 Tutsi people were killed. Jesus. Holy fuck. Yeah. Primarily with machetes. Yeah. So if, if, uh, if you guys don't want to read the book, like I suggest you do, but you could also, if you don't have time before our episode comes out, you could also just dip into the movie, which is phenomenal. It's a really good movie. You know, Don Cheadle, Joaquin Phoenix is also in it. Um, Nick Nolte, great movie. Super sad, especially since it's true. But this is the story of Paul Rusesabagina, who put his own life at risk uh, by using his hotel to shelter, I think it was 1,200 Tutsi people from, because I think he was Hutu, right? And so he used his hotel to shelter these Tutsi people and kind of hide them away.
1: Now, I don't know if this is true to the book or not, but I remember just in the film adaptation, he was a Hutu and then his wife was like a Tutsi, Right.
0: Oh yeah, I think you're right.
1: Yeah. So there was already like there's like this weird sort of difference in ethnicity sort of built in. Right. Right. Right.
0: So you would have been a more understanding man on the whole thing. But uh, I I've always remembered there's one scene in that movie uh, where Don Cheeto, who plays Paul Recessive Gina, is talking to Joaquin Phoenix, who's essentially a reporter, right? And Joaquin Phoenix has got all this crazy video of what's happening. And Paul is talking to him at the bar of the hotel, and he goes, this is great. Like, People in America are going to see this, and the world is going to know what's happening, and they're going to help. And Joaquin Phoenix character goes, obviously not an exact quote, but essentially he goes, like, I hate to tell you this, but I think people are going to see this, and they're going to go, oh my God, that's terrible. And then they're going to turn their TV off and go back to eating dinner. And like, I remember when I heard that, I was like, it's so true, though. Like, how many times have you seen awful things going on in another part of the world? And you're like, wow, damn, that's crazy. And then you just go back to life.
1: Just just a side story. Do you remember when everyone was uh, putting that filter over their Facebook and Instagram profiles of, like, the French flag? Yeah. Something this morning made me think of that. And I was like, I can't even fucking remember what that was for. But that's just an example of me. I think it was
0: a terrorist attack.
1: I think you're right. But, like, when I was thinking about it, I was like, I can't remember why people did that. I just remember people putting the French fucking flag filter over the profile pictures and then all of a sudden people stopped doing it but i was like same thing turn off the tv and go back to dinner i was like i don't fucking remember what that was for yeah like no like most people don't actually take action and then when you consider
0: whether governments are going to get involved like that's a tricky game you know there's alliances and global trade to consider like they're not always going to jump in and do what's quote unquote right because there's a, a lot of other irons in the fire there And after that, we have Marching Powder, a true story of friendship, cocaine, and South America's strangest jail by Rusty Young and Thomas McFadden. Now, this book is actually where the idea for the Crime and Conspiracy Season 2 came from. And ironically enough, it came from a motorcycle movie. There's a phenomenal motorcycle journalist and videographer out there named Adam Riemann. You know, he used to write for ADV Magazine, and he's now gone out on his own to start uh, Motology, where he does, like, a lot of phenomenal motorcycle films. And he did the Moto Nomad series, where they ride, like, 7,000 miles on KTM 500s through, like, wild countries like Mongolia, Bolivia, Egypt, you know, Egypt during a civil war. It's, it's phenomenal. And he does all the videography himself, no support vehicles, amazing series. During that time, they end up in Bolivia and they go see this, the prison that this book is written about. They talked to a tour guide there who mentions this book. And I was like, I saw it years ago. And then when we started this podcast, I rewatched that movie, just going back through motorcycle inspiration. And when I saw that, I was like, I need to find a way to get this in the podcast. Like I have to find a way. And it just worked out perfectly that season two's, crime and conspiracy
1: topic was born. I hope that this is our one-man caravan of season two, right? I just want, like, something like, obviously, like, cocaine and jail, like, that. there's probably going to be some fucking awful stories that we hear, but I'm just kind of hoping that this is a sort of, like, uh, a high-energy, action-packed read from start to finish. Like, as corny as that fucking sounds, that's kind of what I'm hoping for, but I really don't know what's in those pages yet because I haven't read it. Well, I do kind of get, from what I understand of it, I do kind
0: of get that same, you know, Robert Edison Fulton Jr. adventurer spirit from Rusty Young. So, for those of you who haven't heard about this book before, essentially, Rusty Young, I believe he's a journalist, he decides to go on a tour of the infamous San Pedro prison in La Paz, Bolivia, which is, it's wild. They just give tours. Like, inmates. Well, you could go on a guided tour of a fucking prison. So the tour is given to <laughs> that, him. That
1: took a second for me to sink in there, right? Yeah. I was just like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. An active prison, yeah. So
0: the tour is given to him by an inmate, also bonkers. Like, could you imagine, like, here, come over to the penitentiary here, and this murderer will walk you around, you know? So the tour is given to him by an inmate named Thomas McFadden, who is- the co-author of the book. Uh, the two of them become friends and kind of inspired by his interest in the life in San Pedro Cedro, San Pedro prisoners, he decides to smuggle himself in. This is
1: already backwards because you usually think of like, oh, people want so it's a to jailbreak. Yeah, yeah. you, you
0: want to run from jail, yeah. you know, like get out. And he's so, like, no, no, I'm going in. That's kind of where I get that adventurous spirit. <laughs> like he's like, this place is fucking cool. I'm going to smuggle myself into a Bolivian prison. And it's not, you know, people that got a ticket for urinating in public. These are bad bad dudes, right? So he gets himself smuggled in and spends 4 months there. That's a long time. Yeah, and so like it's not an ordinary prison, right? Like it's essentially a walled-off shanty town. The prisoners work in the in the prison. It's like there's no ceiling, right? They just wall off this really poor, poverty-stricken section of of, uh, La Paz, you work to buy and sell your prison cells. You know, like, it's just like real life. If you don't work in the prison, you're homeless on the streets inside jail. You know? And so, like, it really would be just an entirely new dynamic, but because of that dynamic, it's kind of become a place where drug lords can thrive. You know, they can... Produce and sell their products and get rich inside the prison, you know, and hire other inmates to do the work for them and then smuggle shit out. And like, so you have, it's, it's this little crime city. Like it kind of, you remember that movie Doomsday? Yes. It's like a zombie infestation and they just wall it off. Yeah. People are just still living in there and it's just chaos. Like that's kind of how it feels, you know? So like this guy's going into no man's land and he goes there for four months and just learns about this, you know? So. I'm excited to read this one because I really think, like, this guy sounds like he's one of those people that's, like, you you could have written a book about it from the outside, you know? It wouldn't have been the same. It would have been interesting. But he's like, I'm going to get in there. I'm going to live it. I'm going to know what it's like. I'm going to participate in making cocaine inside of a prison cell, (laughs) like stomping on the coca leaves and stuff, you know? And, like, and I so I don't know all the details. Like, is he undercover in there? Is he pretending he's a prisoner? Or is he like, hey, what's up, guys? Uh, I'm a journalist. I smuggled myself in. Because then I would imagine that puts you at some extra danger, you know? Or maybe it's a card you can use. So I, I, I'm i excited to just see how the fuck this plays out. It's got to be scary smuggling yourself into a prison like that because I'm assuming there's no outside communication. So, like, you could pay guards to let you in. Can you be sure they'll let you out? I don't know, man. Right? Like, or I- would you be able to contact your embassy? while like, you're in there, or are they just going to be like, sorry, man, you're fucking here, and then what do you do? Like, I don't know. Like, how official is that it's ledger? It's ballsy, yeah. You know? Like, he might not even be on one. Yeah. You know, they might not have put his name on a list. So as far as anyone else is concerned, that dude went missing. <laughs> like, it's terrifying. Yeah. So, yeah, I, th- I, I think it's not too big of a risk to keep your hopes up that it could be our next one-man caravan.
1: <laughs> and it's got a great title. I like the title. Yeah, right? marching powder.
0: Right. Yeah, that was another one, man. It's and the, the right book, away the I knew. It was a, yeah, like right away
1: I was like, oh, they're talking about cocaine.
0: Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Well, and the story behind that is that you have to stomp the coca leaves, right? Right. So that's why they call it marching powder. After that, we have the Spy and the Traitor: The Greatest Espionage Story of the Cold War by Ben McIntyre. So this is another one I've read. Again, we're going back to the Soviet Union here. We're diving into... It'll be cool because we will have seen the American side and more of a current version of of uh, the Secret Services world, right? With uh, Amaryllis Fox. And now we're going to dive into kind of a more archaic operating system here with KGB agents during the Cold War. Like this is like 80s? I think it's 80s. Yes. Cold War is like 80s era, right? Yeah, because with the Soviet Union collapsed in 92... Ninety one. Um, I own. I might have to fact check that. I'm one. not yeah. a history buff. I just know <laughs> this because Metallica played in the Soviet or in Russia very shortly after the collapse, and I think that was ninety two. Okay. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was nineteen ninety one. I like Soviet that's how union you
1: collapsed. understand history. Is like when did Metallica play Russia? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, right after the Union collapse. Soviet Union collapse. Just as a sidebar. If anybody
0: is just into musical performances at all, go YouTube that show of Metallica playing in Moscow because they play for like two million angry Russians who because <laughs> they weren't allowed metal concerts there before in the Soviet Union. And so now suddenly there's this massive concert and there's a scene while they're playing the song Creeping Death, where he says, die by my hand, I creep across the land, killing firstborn men. Well, they go into the chant, right? Where he just starts chanting, die, die. We have two million Russians throwing their fists in the air, chanting die, with what I could only imagine is is just an unbelievable level of emotion after having lived under the r- rule of the Soviet Union, you know, like and they've just, I don't know if I would call it freedom, but they've been given some freedoms. So this book really dives into how oppressed they were. So it follows the story of Oleg Gordievsky. So he was the son of two KGB agents and then became a very uh, well-respected KGB agent himself.
1: I think this is the book that has pictures in the center, like the glossy pages. Yeah, yeah. The the copy that I do. So I was actually looking at those pages the other day and I was like, oh, like these people look Russian as fuck. Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, his name is Oleg Gordievsky, bro. Like... (laughs) I don't know if it gets more Russian than that. <laughs> yeah,
1: because I think I, I was looking at the picture of uh, his parents, and, like, I think it's, like, his brother or something, or there's some relation, I was like, oh, man, like, you can you can just tell. Like, there's there's an attitude here that you can only have if you grew up in the fucking Soviet Union and fucking Russia. Like For sure. You know, like, you only get that face from one place. <laughs> Prime candidates for Bond
0: villains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or a Rocky Balboa movie. Um <laughs> But so, like, we're talking about generational indoctrination here. You know, both of his parents. And from what I understand, his father was a, like, highly decorated KGB agent. Yeah, His I,
1: mother also in the KGB. Same thing. I sound like a kindergarten. It's like, I saw the picture of his dad in the uniform. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? And they,
0: it's, they start young there, you know? And then he gets married, and his wife also works for the KGB. And for people that don't understand, like, this whole whistleblower scenario with Edward Snowden in the United States, but how he just like ran away to Russia and now Russia's sheltering him. That doesn't happen with the KGB. There's no whistleblowers. You, you fucking disappear underneath the Kremlin, you know? Like this is back in the days when they legitimately believed in truth serum, where they would just like inject you with chemicals that just kind of loosened you up. And then they would ask you a bunch of questions. It has since been disproven that truth serum works and it's kind of like a lie detector test you don't see him in court because like okay maybe but also maybe not and when you're gambling with people's lives russia just took out the maybe and they were like fuck it it (laughs) says truth in the name whatever he says is true so like you're basically just high and rambling off information you like black out and then if you say the wrong thing gone forever you know no paperwork that's just how it was kgb agents disappeared all the time You know, we're talking about a country that has a history of being able to, like, rat out your neighbor, pretend that he said something anti-government, and
1: the the KGB
0: shows up and you never see him again. You know, it's wild. Like, just absolute control and intense levels of paranoia. You know, he's in this world. He's KGB 100%. And then they give him a posting in, I believe it was Denmark, right, which is a democratic country. So when you do that, you kind of have to rely on the fact that your agents are all in. You know, there's no brainwashing them with the ways of democracy. Well, he gets into Denmark, and he starts to see that, you know, maybe democracy's all right. Like, he sees a guy go in and purchase a gay porn magazine. You can't do that in the USSR. Gone. Smoke bombs. Disappeared. That's (laughs) it. You know? There's no such thing. Well, I mean, you can't do it because they don't exist, but also... You can't do it because you'll just be gone, right? And so he's like, oh, man. Like He starts to see how oppressed his people are and decides to become a double agent for the Allies. He works closely with MI6, which is the British Intelligence Agency, and they don't tell anyone else. They don't share with the CIA. So that's really where the story starts. You've got this guy, highly decorated KGB agent, all of his family, parents, brother, wife, all tied into the KGB and he's going back and forth playing both sides. And we're talking in the days where like to communicate with your handler was like, walk three laps around this block, you know, leave a fucking orange peel on this bench, put a bottle cap in this bathroom stall. And then three days from then we'll meet you by this light post. That's not an exaggeration by the way. (laughs) That's how I fucking did it. (laughs) And so like, Dude, it's it's riveting. Like, there's scenes where, like, you're like, does he live? Does he die? Is he gonna get tortured to death? Like, it's just so intense. And he has to rely on the incompetency of of the Soviet Union (laughs) and the intelligence of MI6. And he's playing with his life, but he's doing it because he truly believes that it's it's the path to freedom for his people. You know, it's it's a phenomenal story, man. Like. It had me on the edge of my seat, and it's really cool to see just how intelligent and dedicated Secret Service agents were during the Cold War, because all this stuff you got to memorize. If somebody gives you information, you read it, burn the paperwork, that's going to stay in your head. Code words, passwords, you know, operating systems like it would be hard enough just understanding all the secret patterns of working for the KGB. But now you got to remember the secret patterns for MI6 and not fuck them up. And the Soviet Union was so paranoid that, like, even if you didn't fuck up, they might think you did. And then oh, Gulag, you know, <laughs> like, so it's it's intense, man. I, I really like this book. Like, it just, it really shows you the terrifying chess game of, of the Secret Service world back in the Cold War.
1: See, I'm glad you referred it to a chess game because I was reading the description of this book. And it was called, like, Fastidious, right? So, like, very attentive to detail and concerned about accuracy and that sort of thing. And reading that like brief little comment on how the book was written, I was like, "Oh, I think there's there's a lot to unpack with like the detail, and I don't think that I quite appreciate how much detail there is in being something like a double agent. Like I can't even begin to comprehend what that even means. And then having an understanding for, like you said, if you walk around the block clockwise versus counterclockwise, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're heading down, you're given a different set of instructions, right? Just from a yep. detail, right? You know? So I think that's sort of like re- really piqued my interest. The other interesting thing, and this is like, th- this is like the little story that I have to share is when I was buying these books, I just like went into the bookstore with like the list on the phone and I just went up to the counter I'm like, Hey, can you order me these books? And uh, they're like, oh, actually, we have this book and this book in stock. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I'll just like buy those now. And then I'll come back when the rest of them come in. And so I got a phone call. Yeah, all your books are in. Okay, cool. Go down there. And he's got them all up. The clerk got them all up on the on the counter. And I'm like, oh, no, I think I already have that one. And he's like, oh, yeah, like I'm pretty sure that I already, you had it in stock and I paid for it. And I like I think it's at home. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Oh, hold on a second. So he like goes back to my file. He's like, "No, you haven't bought this one yet." I'm like, "No, man. Like, I remember seeing that book. Like, if you grab Red Notice and the Spy and the Trader out of that stack of books, grab them right now, and just look at the covers. Look at how close those fucking covers are. Oh yeah, like very the color, the the setting, the like setting. It, they're in front of the same buildings. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's literally
0: little. a dude in a trench coat." In a black and white picture in Russia in front of, that's not, the, oh yeah, it's, I think the one to the right is the Kremlin.
1: Yeah. So, and so I'm in the book. I'm like, no man, like I'm starting to second guess myself, but I'm like, man, like I'm pretty sure I already, I can't remember if I had already picked up Red Notice or the Spy and the Trader, right? Like I can't remember. So I had to like text my girlfriend and I was like, hey, can you go in the basement? I got a couple of books down there. Send me a picture of the covers. And then she sent me a picture of the covers and I was like, and then I was looking at the one on the bookstore counter and I was like, Oh, no, no, I don't I don't have that. And I like showed the guy, I'm like, sorry, like this is the one that I have, and that's the one that you're I'm buying now. I'm like, he's like, Oh yeah, like I'm like, Yeah, the covers look like fucking identical. Yeah. Well, and it's
0: funny, so Ben McIntyre has has covered a lot of these like Cold War, World War II spy stories and it's a very similar cover for all of them, kind of the same format, but whenever I'm trying to remember who wrote Red Notice, my brain always goes to Ben McIntyre just because the are the, fucking identical books. Yeah. You know, like a <laughs> very similar feeling to them. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm really excited to reread this book, to be honest with you, because um, like this is, this is a pivotal moment in history. Like we kind of brush off the Cold War because it's like, yeah, but it wasn't, World War One or World War Two? It kind
1: of wasn't our thing. Like that was kind of like, you know, our parents sort of had to deal yeah. with the Cold War, or right? But it
0: like it, it's it what we we go oh it wasn't a hot war so who cares yeah? But it's like no 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 Kennedy and who was it? Uh, Gorbachev I believe at the time were at a nuclear standoff for an extended period of time and like it got really fucking close this book dives into and sheds a little bit more light on just how fucking close it got oh man from what i understand if it wasn't for uh john f kennedy and bobby kennedy having you know a little bit of a back door through the the presidential communication channels like they would have fucking been hitting the button Jesus you know Christ. Like, it was close. And if you think about it, like, sure, we don't think of the Cold War as much now, but if it would have just crossed that line, the the world would be different. If Russia and the United States went to a nuclear war, everything we know would be different right now. Man,
1: I'd be drinking, like, radioactive tea.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It might be radioactive vodka, depending on who won. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah, or we might be fucking cave people right now. Yeah. It was a crazy time, man. And that's the cool thing about espionage. I think when I first started diving into the spy books, you don't realize how important it is because the point of it is that it doesn't get anywhere. You know, like if you're really successful as a spy, the key goal is that nobody knows. Yeah. You know, like you don't hear about the story because they avoided the big war. Yeah, so, like you're
1: not getting the Medal of Valor, you're not fucking shaking the president's hand, sure. you're not having journalists write books about you in fucking TV shows yeah. and CNN interviews. Nobody
0: knows your name, you know, so we kind of brush off the Cold War, but man, it was real fucking close to the most crucial moment of all time. And this this dives into a lot of it, because like I said, MI6 didn't communicate with the CIA and the CIA is trying to figure out where the fuck MI6 is getting their info to see if it's reliable, because they're trying to decide, do we hit the fucking button or not? Is Russia going to hit the button? And MI6 is like, dude, don't do it. We know they're not going to do it or we know this. And they're like, then tell us from who? And they're like, we can't. And so, they're, but, you know, it's I just picture it as like a bunch of people in fucking suits with war medals on just standing over a big red button and everyone's sweating fucking bullets you know for like two years like dude when i was reading the book like there's a big section where you feel that intensity you're like holy you know it didn't happen but you're like holy fuck man like we're almost there so it was a wild time and and if anyone else wants to dive into that that world a little bit more i don't remember the title of it but uh dan carlin on his podcast hardcore history Uh, does a really really great i think it's like a three or four hour deep dive on just like nuclear history you know when truman dropped the atomic bomb when kennedy managed not to and that whole nuclear standoff like it's it's fascinating so if you really want to dive into that side of it more and maybe even ahead of time to understand like just what was going down in the world at this time, it might be helpful. And it's just phenomenal information. Dan Carlin's an excellent presenter, you know, definitely,
1: definitely does his research. So, so what's the last book? What's the last book of the season? We've already mentioned it once, but let's fucking, let's give this book a proper introduction. So this is the big one, right? Literally and
0: figuratively. Yeah. I don't even know what I could say. To prepare people for this. I, so I'm not a big conspiracy theory guy, right? I've kind of always been like, oh, I'll read it. You know, if it's true, it's true. If it's not, it's not, but I'm going to wait for the info to come out. This book changed my entire perspective on conspiracy theories, man. Like even the crazy ones now, I tend to like almost want to believe them Let's just start off by saying I'm not a fucking flat earther, but, (laughs) but like, man, I'm, I'm telling you like so much comes out in this book and I don't even want to call it conspiracy theory because it's, it's so substantiated, you know, it's backed by legitimate CIA documents, right? It goes deep. So this book started off as a magazine article, you know? Tom O'Neill was tasked with basically interviewing people from the Charles Manson murder era. It was an anniversary of it or something shortly after and just tasked with asking them how it changed their world, you know, in the world of celebrities. It becomes a 20 year project that just snowballed into a massive deep dive of cover ups and corruption surrounding Charles Manson. We're talking MKUltra, the civil rights movement, the assassination of JFK. Like, just page after page of mind-blowing information, man. Like, and anyone, like, I'm sure there's people out there just salivating at the mention of MKUltra, right? <laughs> like, that's That's a really controversial one. But, you know, that's not even it. Like, we get into... Operation Chaos and Cointelpro and one called Midnight Climax. Like dude, the CIA did some wild shit. And it's the 60s were just a fucking free for all, man. Like I said, it's all substantiated. Like he doesn't speculate for the most part. Like he it's it's all from CIA documents and it just blows your fucking mind it shattered my trust for government systems, you know, like, Uh like just realizing the shit they did. And the fact that it's not a, it's not a huge thing, you know, like we don't, the CIA is still a real thing. It's still operating. Like you would think that after all of this, people would have gone, Hey, like we got to rise up and shut this shit down. No, thank you. Yeah. Like MK ultra was wild enough. Like it's not unreasonable to say that, MK Ultra was responsible for the Unabomber, you know, like the same psychologist during the MK Ultra times, like that same scientist did test LSD trials on Ted Kaczynski, you know, which is basically what took a fucking genius and turned him into a madman, <laughs> you know, in hindsight, we probably should have added his manuscript to this, this list, you know, like I've got it and it's fucking phenomenal. It's short, but it's really good. You know, we're talking about testing LSD on unsuspecting victims and doing legitimate scientific experiments on the effects of LSD on the mind. Because back then, like the whole idea of MKUltra was they were worried that the Russians were figuring out how to use LSD as mind control. And they were like, we have to figure it out first and desperate times call for desperate measures, right? The shit they did to their own people was fucking terrible, dude. It was it was some pretty insane shit that happened and then the CIA's clash with the civil rights movement, like this hits all the bases, dude. Like it starts off as a book about the Manson murders and that theme does stick all the way through. That is kind of his guiding light. But literally just like every page he's like, anyway, so I moved on to this next deal detail of the Manson murders. And fucking found this rabbit hole, and it just goes off, and then he runs into another one. You know, like for a very long time, we've kind of all taken Vincent Bugliosi's book *Helter Skelter* to be the true story of of the Manson murders, right? And it's so fucking far off. So Vincent Bugliosi was like the main prosecutor, yeah. In the he trials. was
1: a uh, district attorney, right?
0: Yes, and so. Then he writes a book about the trials and then gets super famous. So this book basically opens up with, he interviews Vincent Bugliosi, finds some loopholes, and then Vincent Bugliosi threatens his children to keep him from (laughs) writing a story about it. If you know anything about journalists, you've got to know that if they find something slightly suspicious and then you threaten them, they go, oh, this is a fucking story. Yeah, You know? Like, if you don't just brush it off, if you if you get defensive, they're going to go, this is the one, you know? And it is. It's the fucking one, man. Like, I have told so many people about this book. I probably have friends that are specifically not going to tune into this just because they don't want to hear me say the name of this book again. Like, <laughs> when I was still drinking, I would pester people. Like, three nights in a row, like, the three times I would see my friends, I would be like... Man, you need to read chaos. They're like, Yeah, we know. You told us about that last weekend. And I'm
1: like, well, did you read it yet? Well, I'm gonna fucking tell you again. Man, it's like four or five hundred pages. Like, it's not, it's, you know, it's a fucking big book. Dude, and it's it's so much
0: information. It's it's almost hard to believe, but the thing is, like I said, it comes from CIA documents. That that fucking terrifies me. Well, so right? f- from what I understand is during the civil rights movement, a bunch of people broke into a federal building that they thought was, like, connected to banking. You know, you hear this this theory over and over again of, like, if you can erase the bank records, everybody's out of debt. Yeah. So I think it was kind of along those lines. And then they realized they accidentally broke into a CIA building. And so they just, like, stole a bunch of shit, like, stole a bunch of classified CIA documents and leaked them. And at that point, the CIA has... Because this isn't stuff that the CIA is like, "Uh, it's about time we tell you about this. You're old enough. (laughs) No, no, no. This is shit that would have stayed buried forever, but got out there. And they still tried to suppress it as much as they could, but it's out there, you know? And so, like, there is some speculation, but it's connected by a lot of dots. And, like, you're really pointed in the direction. And it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you, like... It blows my mind that nobody dives into the depths of the Charles Manson murders. We're all just like, he's a fucking psychopath, and he killed a bunch of people. No. <laughs> it's entirely possible that he was being given LSD by the CIA and used as an experiment because he's super charismatic, and they taught him how to use LSD to brainwash people instead of doing it themselves. They'll just feed them
1: LSD. and So I haven't read this book yet, but just working with that notion that you have the government, right, or an arm of the government giving an hallucinogenic drug to a guy, like regardless if it's Charles Manson, let's just say you've got the government, illicit drug, giving it out, right? We know what LSD is now, so we, it's it's kind of fucked for us to think about what that is. Like I've I've never take an LSD or anything. I've like never tri- fucking <clears throat> trip balls on acid. Yeah, me me neither. It's, it's on my fucking, <laughs> it's on my to-do list. But, so we kind of know what that is. But if you like change, just change that equation a little bit and let's just say like the government's given somebody like basically anything else, you're still like, wow, governments really don't do that. But they kind of do, right? And, you know, you think about other governments that like, something that comes to mind and this isn't a conspiracy about like the Chinese communist party just having like offices set up, like policing, like Chinese communist party policing offices set up in Canada. Like just that just sounds completely far fetched and made up. And if somebody mentioned that in the bar, you would just think that they're spouting some conspiracy theory, but like, no, like this is actually like they put like, you know, their people in our country doing work for their government, right? And so its I don't think it's actually that far-fetched. And so people would probably immediately want to dismiss it just because of what they understand the pop culture version of Charles Manson to be, what they understand of LSD, and what they understand the CIA to be, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the whole point, get them kind of looking over here, but really you're over on the other side acting right. Even without having read this book and just knowing what I know about how the world operates, even in my slim, narrow understanding of things... I don't think it's that far-fetched just from what I understand about this book and this story from the outside looking in. Well, and that's the thing, right? you got to remember that the CIA,
0: is it's an international agency. It's not supposed to operate within the borders of the United States. It's not how it works. It's what the FBI does. So nobody is going to be looking for the CIA inside the United States because they're not supposed to be there. So like you said, it's, hey, look over here. It's the fucking ball and cup game. It's just look over here while we do this shit, and and you got to remember, like, MK Ultra sounds like a wild conspiracy theory, but it's real. <laughs> it's declassified. It's been proven. They legitimately tested LSD on their own citizens, and we're talking like you said. This isn't LSD now. Like nowadays, people be like, "Where do I sign up?" Yeah, You know, (laughs) but back then, you've got to remember, this is when the government legitimately believed it could be used for mind control. That was the intention, studying the effects of LSD and massive doses, extended doses of LSD on people that only kind of signed up for it to see if they could brainwash them. That was the whole goal. Like, it's very malicious. It's, you know, the Harvard LSD trials that they did on Ted Kaczynski. It was months in the Harvard basement, giving him LSD and Just doing shit like tab after tab, after and tab. doing shit like doing brain scans while they terrified the fuck out of him and humiliated the fuck out of him. Just they broke him. the The whole goal was give him a ton of LSD, break him, and see how the brain reacts. That's what they did. It's basically torture. Like by any other terms, it's torture, you know. And they did this widely in the '60s with many people. And so that, like that, like I said, that would sound like a conspiracy theory, but it's real. You look at things like the whole Huawei debacle. There, you know, like a lot of people were like, "Ah, oh, whatever." It's yeah, just yeah, the fucking chief financial,
1: yeah, the chief financial officer uh, Meng Wanzhou, right? For sure. Well, gets fucking arrested in Vancouver, and you're like, "Wait a second, well, what?" And
0: her father was like an engineer for the People's Army of China, like direct ties. Here's another mind fuck. So and this is coming from a podcast with a cia operative that's now retired they found out that they were looking into huawei's business deals in the united states and they're like they're giving extremely cheap like telecommunications deals and in putting in towers near all these small towns you know and business deals that don't financially make any fucking sense well when you look at it all on a map all of them are directly beside American military bases (laughs) right and then they start doing phone conferencing systems and making deals with these hotels that are all prominent business hotels and they provide phone conferencing systems for these people at again not financially lucrative deals that they don't make any sense on paper until you realize that these phone conferencing systems are just feeding information back now not all of it is going to be top secret information But any bit of information that you can get from business deals in the United States, giving you hints on what's happening and how far along they are, even just with tech in general, you know, like if you can get a business deal recording from people talking about microchips, they might not be rocket scientists. They're just talking about microchips. But if you have people that understand microchips, it can give you a serious heads up at where their technology is for tracking devices and targeting devices and all that. So, and this again sounds like a wild conspiracy theory. One hundred percent happened.
1: Yeah, like Huawei's got to take all their fucking antennas down for sure. Yeah, you know, like for real. Like, yeah. They, like, and I, I don't think people realize how pervasive their equipment is. Like the last job I worked, we had access. We had to pay a, the business had to pay a subscription, but we had access to basically put in the GPS uh, any GPS coordinate, and you could just see where the cell towers were in relation to that GPS it's not like spy stuff and there's like nothing that you can really get from that information other than like oh you just know where this fucking antenna's pointing right so you know where to fucking boost from right like that's all yeah. we used it for yeah but in the information it'll give you like the make and the model of the antenna and there's so much fucking Huawei antennas man like in our communications infrastructure right so There are leaps and bounds ahead in that world. I guess bringing that up reminds me that LSD, Charles Manson, MK Ultra—like you, you kind of kind of look at that stuff, and it sounds like it's just some crazy fucking story that somebody, you know, some fan fiction that somebody wrote about the '60s. But when you just take a bit of a look at what's what we know is occurring now, from what we're allowed to kind of see, and you're like, oh, like for me, that's enough to read chaos. With an open set of eyes, I guess you could say.
0: If you're into social justice, this covers a lot of the things that happened uh, with the civil rights movement, the clash between the civil rights movement and the CIA. If you're into true crime, this dives very deeply into the Manson murders and the trial. If you're into conspiracy theories, government corruption, espionage, this dives Deeply into that, even if you're just into history, man, we're talking like a a huge, hugely important time in American history. You know, the JFK assassination, the civil rights movement, like a a lot of uh, pieces being moved around the board here. Like, it's a fascinating book. I'm so excited to read it again and. I, like, I'm excited for even if people just tune into the podcast and listen to it, like which probably some of my friends will in the sense that, like, they're not going to pick up the book and dive into it all the way, which I can understand. It's a heavy read, man. It's one of those books you almost have to set down a couple times because you're just like, is this fucking reality that I'm in right now? <laughs> you know, from what I understand of the CIA, not all their operations have to get approved by the president. You know, it's kind of need to know. And he fucking doesn't always need to know. So it's this like rogue agency off to the side that just makes their own decisions. So it's a, it's a bit of a fucking free-for-all, man, during a crazy time. And and it just ties so many of the dots together. Like, I, I can't wait. I want to read it right now, but it's the perfect book to do last. It's the perfect book to do last. We got a heavy season ahead of us. For sure, man. And a dark one. There's going to be a lot of like the first season, you know, we were super excited for because it's motorcycle adventures we're both motorcycle guys it's fun there's a bit of history but for the most part aside from i would say lone rider which got a little dark sometimes uh also hilarious to go back and listen to us bumble our way through like the part (laughs) where she gets an abortion (laughs) we're both just like i don't know how to talk about this (laughs) you know (laughs) But yeah, aside from that one, it was all pretty lighthearted books, fun, adventurous books. This one's going to get dark, and it's going to dive into some sensitive times in history and some sensitive topics. I think it's going to be cool to see the way we manage it, because I'm not a big conspiracy guy. I do love history and espionage, you know, Cold War, World War II, World War I, all that stuff, spy stories. I'm big into that. It's not something that I'm super knowledgeable on, right? I have obviously have no personal experience. I'm not a secret agent. Not that I would tell you if I was. Um, I there's hasn't really been any big wars. We haven't experienced wars personally, you know. So it's something very foreign to us, and it's it's going to be interesting to see how that affects the way we study these books, you know.
1: I am ready for this season. And something you were sort of, kind of had in your back pocket, something like you wanted to ask, is like sort of what I was reading in between all the stuff we read for the first season. Yeah. And now it's like, I had to get some fiction into me, right? Right. You know? And so I've, uh, I've consumed a lot of fiction. There's still a lot of like, just regular nonfiction stuff that I can kind of pick up and come and go at as I please, right? It's not like you read a chapter here and there and I'm still going to get what I need to get out of what I'm reading, right? So I didn't really feel compelled to like finish all these books that I had started. So I definitely still have other stuff that I'm reading now. But, so one of the, one of the last piece of fictions, and I'm almost done this book. It's called uh, "Burnt Tongues." It's an anthology. It's a collection of short stories right. by different authors, but it's edited and workshop by Chuck Palahniuk and his team.
0: Oh God! <laughs> right so when I, so when when you said "burnt tongues," I I kind of took it as a metaphor, and then you said Chuck Palahniuk, and I was like, "Oh no, it might
1: be literal." <laughs> so he doesn't. He hasn't actually authored any of the stories that appear in this anthology, right? Right. But they're definitely stories that he would put his check mark beside, his check right. calling a check mark. And so. Which I've, that alone says a lot. So I'm reading this book or I'm reading the stories in this book and some of them are like, oh man, like that was like a solid story with a twist or what have you. Or I really liked kind of where that went. Other stories, you're just like, man, man, why did I read that story before bed? Because that is completely fucked. Like, there's just some stories that I'm like, I wouldn't... There's some stories that I would not recommend, you know, certain friends I have to read because it would just, like, break their fucking heart, the content of the stories. Like, right? those fucking stories are transgressive. And, like, that's... Are that's they part, true stories? No, no. They're just okay. fiction, man. It's, like, fucking pure fiction. Well, I don't know. Like, it's... Could be inspired by... <laughs> which would be even scarier, right? Right. So, anyways... Last night, um, I'm trying to power through these last few stories, right? Because I just, I want to get this book done. I'm kind of over it a little bit, you know? Some of the stories are fucking brutal. And so I just, like, kind of put it down last night. And I was just thinking to myself, like, I'm really glad that I'm going to be reading some nonfiction for a while. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No doubt, man. There's going to be some fucking crazy stuff in these books, no doubt, right? And there's going to be some tough stuff to... To digest, you know, I'm just thinking of an ordinary man and the Rwanda genocide, right? Like, that ain't gonna be fucking easy to that's, read, it's dark. But I think there's something that is comforting knowing that there's truth to there's truth in all of these books, which is weird because like the truth can get pretty fucking ugly, it can get mean, brutal, right? Disgusting, you know, get can get hard. But I think that there's something oddly comforting knowing that all of this shit is real, right?
0: Yeah, you kind of anchor yourself in the facts, right? Like I find when I when I read fiction, I allow myself to spiral a little bit, you know, cuz you can imagine cuz it's not a true story anyways. So yeah, you can kind of imagine your way into whichever path.
1: They call it a, like a suspension of disbelief. Like you just ah. you allow yourself to uh take in sort of like the over over the topness of the story, right? Like, that would never happen in real life, like, you know?
0: That sort of terminology is where we get the clear division between you being a scholar (laughs) and me being a dirtbag. Welcome to reality, folks. Is there a book in this season that you're the most excited for? Obviously, as you can tell by my ranting, I'm super pumped for chaos.
1: I think for me, I think that's probably the one that I'm going to be like, yep, that's going to be the one. That's going to be, like, if there's any one book, that's gonna be the one. But thinking back to season one, you know, I think we sort of thought that Ted Simon was gonna be hitting the home runs with his books, and then we're like, wait a second, this right. fucking one man caravan and Edison Fulton yeah. Jr. was like actually kind of fucking badass. So I hope there's some surprises here. For sure. And I think that there will be. And we've we've sort of got like this crime and conspiracy sort of theme, right? It's, it's a little bit looser in some of the books than other ones. I think one thing that just doing this preface episode is I'm really curious about the means of communication between the people in these books, right? When you think about Cold War, walk around the block three times, flash a flashlight, and then leave a bottle cap, and then, you know, it's going to set this course of action versus like, how is Paul, uh, Begina communicating with the outside world in the 90s when he's like, got refugees in, right? Versus like, how is the journalist in Marching Powder communicating with the outside world when he's in this fucking shanty now prison? Right, like how is the CIA communicating to Charles Manchin? Hey, it's come, come get your fucking LSD, man. Right, like, and I think it's sort of like a new question that I'm thinking about, right? Because I think how how people communicate and where the communication gets interference, right? It's like when you're turning on the TV and you just get the snowstorm, the fuzz, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, that's that's one sort of thing that I, w- when we know that we're dealing with a story where shit goes wrong, like in no domain, but like the antivirus guy, like when does he just like end up on a yacht with guns? Like what, what choice do you have to make that puts you there? You know what I mean? Like what, w- where... Where is that decision made? Even in Runaway Devil, where you're twelve years old and you're gonna go fucking murder your family. Yeah. For this old dude that you think you're in love with, or maybe she is in love with. I don't know. Like, what does that moment look like when you're making that decision? Right? And then how are you communicating? And I think that's I think that's what really sort of interests me about this sort of like list of books that we're gonna read in season two.
0: Yeah, I think we've I think we've got a good mix again. And I'm, I'm excited because I did get quite a bit of feedback from season one just because, you know, I do kind of happen to permanently reside within the motorcycle world. And so I'm surrounded by those people. But largely, you know, it's discussions I had had before about motorcycles, you know, and 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 about books as well. Whereas this one, like it really is so new and there's people out there that are way more invested in. Crime and history and espionage and all of that, you know, so I'm excited for people to chime in and and kind of feed me some stuff that I hadn't thought about, you know, some perspectives or like, oh, hey, man, by the way, there's also this, you know, people who might have read these books and then gone deeper, you know, because that's with a lot of these like you're going to get there's there's more. I mean, marching powder alone, like how many hundreds of other stories have there been from that prison, you know, (laughs) like it's a long history of awful experiences and terrible people. Like there's going to be people that just chime in and they're like, Hey man, I got even more that can blow your mind. So I think there's going to be some, some fun discussions with it. And, uh, I got a pretty strong feeling. We're going to have people reaching out to be like, Hey man, can I get a copy of that? book?" (laughs) So, and of course, just like last season, if you want a book, trade us.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. You know,
0: give us a suggestion, for uh for the next season and uh trade us something like i'm always happy to be switching around books i like to keep my books but i'm more than happy to hand one over if it means i'm going to get another book that someone's really amped about
1: i know i gotta start building bookshelves because i just kind of like have these random stacks of books in my basement i just i'm starting to look like a crazy person right (laughs) like just all these random books around and you know (laughs) i think for me How I like sort of like organize the books that I'm reading sort of makes sense to me. But
0: the funny thing is, it's not the only time that I have come across you kind of looking like a crazed writer. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know how long ago this was. I reached out to you because I was going to rip out to see you at the home you own. Out in Rimby.
1: Oh, I don't own that home anymore.
0: At the Well, at the time. At the
1: time, yeah, okay. It's
0: it's important to note that you own a home, because it really adds to the crazy writer portion of this. All right. So I'm planning on going out to visit you at the home you own. I have no idea where this is going, so I love this. <laughs> and, uh, and so I give you a call, and it turns out that you're in Red Deer, living... Briefly, temporarily, in a trailer in a <laughs> campground by the river. <laughs> Again, <laughs> despite the fact that you own a home. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay. I remember
1: I remember that phone call. Yeah. And so I'm like, o- okay. And
0: funny enough, you know, with most other people, I would have been like, I'm concerned. <laughs> you know? Why are you uh, having this Chris Farley moment? Yeah, <laughs> in a van down by the river, and so I'm like, oh, it's it's Jonah. You know, you've always been a wild card, and so I'm like, well, let's. I have to go check this out, and I get down there, and you're just. Living in a trailer by the river, getting drunk on a bottle of writer's tears. That was the name of the whiskey. That's yeah. right. And that
1: was actually gifted to me by somebody else.
0: Yeah. It was, it was a kind of Hank Moody meets Johnny Depp in Secret Window. <laughs> well, I've never seen, I don't,
1: I've never seen Secret Window, but watch it. You'll get the joke. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, so I remember that phone call because you were like coming on days off and, Middle of the summer, you know, see what Jonah's doing, ride a motorcycle or something, right? And I just like broke it. I'm like, oh, I'm just like in this camper trailer by the river. And you were just like, what the fuck? (laughs) And then I was like, I had to like repeat myself. Yeah. I was like, no, I'm just like going to be down here for a bit. And you're like kind of quiet. You're like, what? What the fuck? I'm like, yeah, no, like it's. Yeah, like come, just come bring your bike down for a drink, and you're just like, what the fuck? Well, and I would I think have, you said that like four or five times during that phone call. Well, it, I mean, it is
0: rather surprising, Jonah. <laughs> um, I would have loved to be a spectator, like on the outside looking in on that, because you, in general, there would have been an interesting view. And then I opted out of taking the bike, and I drove down because I had my Jaguar at the time. That's right. So you're down. By the river, getting drunk by yourself on writer's tears. And I think <laughs> you were you were kind of in the middle of your writing phase at the time there. Yeah, I was. You were writing for I the was, newspaper, right? Yeah,
1: I was still had a weekly column with the Rimby Review newspaper. So the house was in Rimby, lived there for a long time, and I wrote a weekly column for that local newspaper for a year and a half. I think I only missed two weeks out of a, uh, a year and a half worth.
0: And so you're down there, this crazy drunk writer, and then I pull up like fuck twenty five years old, maybe twenty four both of us just with a bunch of tattoos, and I pull up in my fucking all black supercharged jaguar to your camper by the river yeah. <laughs> like, there's there's no way people the middle didn't of think the that, week, yeah, there's no way people didn't think that was drug related, yeah. <laughs> like,
1: It's funny that you mentioned that because you had texted me. You're on on your way over to my place today. I was just like standing in my window and I could hear your Tahoe before I could see it Mm. because of the exhaust. Yeah. And I see you roll up and then I could definitely hear you like pull a shitty like down the street and then like park. I'm like... Channeling my inner booze brothers. Yeah. (laughs) And it's it's funny because there was a woman right across the street that parked her escape and she was like on her phone or something like pulled over to like use her phone. And so like you just look like a drug dealer in that thing. For sure. And like you look like guy looks like he's going to like fucking deliver a handgun or something like, you know, sell me a handgun. He's like, no, he's just like getting his hippie hat and a fucking jug of water. And he's going to go sit in my basement and talk about books for a couple yeah. hours. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. That's not what people think we're doing. down no. here. She for sure did not give me a happy look. No. Yeah. No. Actually. It's funny when I bought that Tahoe, I went to pick up my brother in Edmonton here one time when I think I came to podcast with you And he gets in and like, again, dark, dark blue Tahoe, black wheels, all blacked out windows. And he's walking up to it. And I like, it was like a weekend and he was out for a stroll. And so I just parked at like a school parking lot kind of thing, right? Like out by this field. And he's walking up to it and he gets in and he goes, I can't decide if this makes you look like a cop or a drug dealer. (laughs) It's And I love it. I love that about that vehicle. It's like, take a guess. But, I mean, I get that all the time, you know, hand and throat tattoos and shit. And then people get talking to me and they're like, wait a minute, you ran a cat Instagram page for two years? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. And they're like, what What the fuck, man? So, it's, I like throwing people off, you know. It's, it's nice. When people at work, like, I work oil field, right? So, like, you know. Last night I'm at work and they're like, oh man, you got to work 12 hours and then drive eight hours home. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm stopping in Edmonton to record a podcast along the way. And they're like, you have a podcast? Like, what's it about? I'm like, books. And they're almost like, you read? (laughs) <laughs> like, you know, just these like extremely contrasting personalities you know I, I love it and like if you go if somebody broke into my tahoe and saw the clothes in there they'd be like is there fucking eight people that live in this thing you know like i got denim jackets i got my motorcycle jacket from lords of gas town that says death proof across the back you know i got dirt bike gear i've got my cowboy hat i have a fucking Wool sweater from, or like an alpaca sweater from Nepal, you know, like it's just like you would you would go through the shit in there and be like, what the fuck is happening here?
1: Or they might think you're a your secret agent, and those are all your disguises. Mm, you know,
0: drive around playing that song, "Secret Agent Man," <laughs> with my sunglasses on at night. I got to start memorizing Blues Brothers quotes, man. <laughs> That's the way I got to go. Uh, I'm I'm really excited for the book list this season. I think I think every all the listeners are gonna are gonna really enjoy these. There's some great books. So, you know, when we release the preface episode, we'll be able to release them in order this time. Uh, with the Spotify system, it kind of screwed that up last time. We had to launch them all at once, but uh, we'll be able to release this first, so people can tune in and then. Uh, you know, maybe if you don't have time to read all the books, you can pick ones that sound the most interesting to you, and read them ahead of time. Or maybe you just want to tune into the podcast and listen to us bullshit our way through it. That's also cool.
1: Listen to this podcast in whatever way you see fit. For sure. And uh, go back and listen to season one, too. 100%. And
0: one big thing I ran into with season one is I had a lot of people be like, oh, yeah, I didn't listen to it. I'm not into motorcycles. And I'm like, that's it's not really the whole thing, though. Like, it's largely adventure. It's on motorcycles, but those stories turned out to be a lot more diverse than I expected. Yeah. You know, and like like we said, One Man Caravan was just such a pleasant surprise to both of us, you know. That book blew me away. Phenomenal book. Like, when I did the podcast with Mitch and Cam, that was, like, one of the main things we talked about. Like, and no matter how much you talk about it, there's always stuff. Like there's always more they the like, oh yeah, and then that, and then that, and just such a good writer, like just really some phenomenal books there. And if there's anything I hope to accomplish with this podcast is just to give more people book suggestions, you know, cause there's, there's so many books out there that I'm sure I've passed on a bookshelf in a weird used bookstore somewhere that of just an absolute gem and I have
1: no idea. Actually, one of the books that I read in between season one and in the start of this season is a book called I Claudius by Robert Graves. And it was actually given to me by a mutual friend, uh, Mike's dad. Oh yeah. He gave me this book years ago and I thought it was so strange that he would give me this book on a Roman emperor. It's written it's a it's a, it's fiction, right? Right. I guess you would call it historical fiction, but it's written as an audio or audio. It's written as a autobiography by the uh, uh Claudius, I can't remember. It's like they have like 10 names in fucking Rome like Claudius Augustus fucking Maximus. Maximus Romulus fucking all the fucking Roman names. Anyways. <laughs> right. So I just uh I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to read that book." And it was it was a bit of a slog cuz it was like fiction, but it was like fucking 300 pages. And it just, surprised. I've been packing that book around for years. And I just remember Mike's dad saying, like, here, here's this book. I think you'll like it. And I fucking love that book. But, man, like, just passed on it so many times just because, like, I'm not really interested in Roman history all that much. And I'm not really interested in historical fiction on about Rome. Like, this isn't really my bag. And I just started reading it. I was like, oh, like, this This is fucking awesome, right? Like, you know power through a book of like 3 400
0: pages you know i'm going to have to go get a copy of that i actually i really like the roman era i think that that timeline was just phenomenal you know and i like i would love to go visit that area and just see like so much of human history developed during that time Fuck yeah. so much of our language developed during that time you know so yeah it's it's always great man when you get a good uh, a good book recommendation did i ever tell you about the time when my mother and my therapist both recommended the same book at the same time. Yeah. So my mother, Brenda, I still don't know if I believe her on this. Um <laughs> She's maybe sticking she's to a, her guns. Maybe but,
1: she's a CIA agent. Right. So I
0: was talking to my therapist. We talk about books a lot, right? Like obviously a, a huge tool for me when it comes to mental health, just either a being able to, dive into a like a different story and just escape your own reality for a while is phenomenal. Just hit pause on what's happening in your life or to be able to read a story of someone who has suffered immeasurably and just be like, Oh yeah, my problems aren't that big and I'm kind of just being a bitch, (laughs) you know, like, and so my therapist goes, I think I have a book for you, especially since like it was during the time where I read, Basically, everything ever written by Sigmund Freud.
1: Okay. Yeah. No, like, holy shit. Yeah. He's was, a very dry author. Like, the translations, like, yeah. he wrote in, like, I've read some of his stuff, right? That's like, that's a lot of dry content.
0: Yeah. Like, you've got to remember, like, back then, like, the 1920s and 1930s, like, it's written very long form, the way people spoke back then in another language and then translated. And it's all very clinical, also. Like, my favorite writing by him is uh, is Interpretation of Dreams. Phenomenal book, like 900 and some pages. But it's basically a compilation of all of his clinical studies on dreams. Yeah, so I I kind of dove into this like world of psychology and explained that, you know, I, I like reading heavy stories that are like, they just remind me that, you know, my problems aren't insurmountable. I can get over it. And so she goes, I think I have a book for you. And she goes... This is your therapist. Yes. She goes, you should read Interpret Or not, sorry. She goes, you should read Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Still to this day, one of the most phenomenal books I've ever read in my life. Loose synopsis. Viktor Frankl is a psychologist, I believe he was. And he spent four years in Auschwitz. Oh, shit. Yes, And that's not how it's pronounced.
1: Um. (laughs) (laughs) Why is that joke so terrible and so funny at the same time? (laughs) Uh, Anyways. um, Jesus. So
0: the book, it's it's called um, Man's Search for Meaning, right? So essentially he just talks about what he saw of people finding happiness in... Arguably the worst conditions known to mankind. Like a prime example of the...
1: I've heard of this book, actually. A
0: prime example of the extreme limits that people will go through to just inflict pain and suffering on other humans. And he talks about the tiny, tiny little things that people would find to find happiness in their day. You know, being able to share the littlest bit of bread with someone else or just simply not dying. Like somehow it reached a point where just not being dead was enough, you know? And so she recommends this book to me. And I think it was not even two days later. I go visit my parents. My mom walks up to me and goes, I have a book you should read and hands me that fucking book. Wow. And my therapist and my mother are about the same age. And so I kind of hum-haw about it for a while. And then eventually I'm like, I got to fucking know. So I like, accuse her
1: <laughs> your mother
0: <laughs> yeah i'm like do you know so and so and she's like no never heard that name and i explained to her the situation she goes haha that's funny no i don't know her and i'm like it's way too coincidental that's and exactly like, what a spy would say For exactly right plead the fifth <laughs> and so i don't i don't know i still i still don't believe her but it did turn out to be one of the the greatest books i've, I've ever read in my entire fucking oh. life yeah so yeah i think it's it just ties back into like my favorite thing about this podcast is hearing other people talk about books and then us just having so many new opportunities to find books that we love and to pass that on to people cuz i know when someone comes to me and goes i fucking love this book you have to read it i get amped and so me being able to do that for them now it's it's the most exciting part so i'm i'm really pumped for season 2 i think we got a great list and i'm i'm Really excited to get into it. One of my dogs is, is excited for season two. I apologize, <laughs> yeah. but they're getting squirrely. Yeah. Um, like, you've been in there for so long and not given me any attention. That's right.
1: Yeah, I guess. Do you want to wrap up the preface episode for season two?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, as always, if you want to reach out to me, the best way to do it is enlightened underscore dirtbag on Instagram. You know, we'll be posting... More promotional stuff as it comes out. Uh, you can find a link to the episode I did with Cam and Mitch on their podcast as well,
1: where we dive into some more information about season one. Can, I am 38 minutes into that podcast episode, and I've just really enjoyed every minute of it. So It's a long
0: one, and it gets off the rails. The I'm, thing I love about I'm, those I'm guys excited. is that like, it was like, come on and talk about your podcast. And we do that for a bit, and then... There's like aliens and mushrooms and like it just it gets fucking crazy. Oh, I'm excited to finish. <laughs> yeah, that. yeah, yeah, it's a it's a fun one. So they're they're good guys to work with. I'll be uh, I'll be podcasting with them again here really soon, and of course you'll be able to see how things played out with uh, with Mitch telling me his connection to our second book of the season. So reach out to me, enlightened underscore dirtbag on Instagram. Send me book suggestions. Send me your thoughts on. Season one, if you want, good or bad, preferably good. Let us know if there's any books you want from us.
1: My name is Jonah Condro. You can, easiest place to find me, Instagram, at Jonah Condro. And I'm just going to put a little bit of a curveball out there. Send me a picture of a cover of a book that you didn't like, because I'm interested to know what you read and you didn't like. So I'm going to throw a bit of a curveball out there. That they didn't like the book or they didn't like the cover? Didn't like the book. Okay. Yeah but thank you for asking for clarification uh i once
0: saw a book called i think it's called images not to masturbate
1: to (laughs) i'm gonna send you that cover yes please do please do all right everyone thanks for tuning in and uh, we hope you stick with us for season two